0: Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, Boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scoot. Maybe you got a little Texas two step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing the versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to the NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of the yard. I hope you're wearing maroon today. Could be a tough day tomorrow, but we're still Bulldogs. Should always represent the brand whenever we can. I will be at Celebration Village most of the day today. Once we get done with the show today, I'm going to pick up a few supplies for our friends at Bookmart and Cafe and head over to their booth. Which is 149 to 152, if you're looking for that. I'll be over there signing books. I had a big day yesterday, kind of unexpected to be quite honest with you. Before I even got there, they already sold like two cases of dog pile. And so, got there, spent the rest of the day. There was uh, nothing left other than four three copies of Alpha Dogs and a handful of uh, Bloom's Leander, restocking today. So I will be bringing that over there with me when I uh, go by Bookmartin Cafe and pick up uh, some stock from them. So we'll restock, dog pile, flim flam, Starkville ones, and there's not a lot of those left. But uh, if you're looking for some uh, Christmas gifts for some Bulldog fans that perhaps um, haven't completed their collection, you can come do that today. I'll be there until 9 p.m. tonight. So I'll be there after afternoon, probably around 1-ish until 9. So we're going to put in a full day's work here and put in a full day's work there. And then tomorrow, of course, we'll be over in Tuscaloosa to watch the Bulldogs take on the University of Alabama. It's been a difficult week for the Mississippi State family. As you guys know, Sam uh, Westmoreland passed away earlier this week. And so, uh, you know, reached out to a couple people. I know there are some people that are interested in perhaps helping um, – offset some of the expenses for the uh, for the funeral. We don't know any of the details yet, but once we get that, we'll share that with you. I reached out to Coach Ty Harden yesterday, and uh, listen, that Tupelo High School program is very special to me. I, I didn't play there, uh, obviously. We did a lot of football combines there, man, for the better part of a decade. I know the quality of people in Tupelo, Mississippi, and uh, you, you certainly hate that they're dealing with a tragedy like this, but uh, the reality of it is they are, and they're our friends. And so whatever we can do to help this family and those that love Sam is the least we can do. Uh, and I appreciate so many people, you know, I got a little emotional last uh, podcast. I usually don't do that, but uh, but I did. And I had several people reach out, you know, and kind of share their own experiences and share some words of support and uh, for all of us. But, you know, our loss is, is really, insignificant compared to what this family is dealing with so please remember them in your thoughts and prayers in the days ahead and of course uh your Bulldog players they've uh, had a difficult stretch as well as you could imagine so we'll see what happens kind of moving forward but the reality of it is is uh you know life's a gift and you just never know from one day to the next what perhaps you may be facing And so, again, our thoughts and prayers go out to uh, the Westmoreland family and the teammates and friends and all that loved uh, Sam Westmoreland. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. They've got a location over in Tupelo, too. They're on Gloucester Street. I I think everything is either on Gloucester Street or off Gloucester Street. But go by and check them out. It's a great location. Of course, the, uh, the, the flagship right here on University Drive in Stark, Vegas, that great new patio area, be sure and go check that out next time you're in town. And then Lake Harbor Drive there in the Ridge and Flowood area. You know, the, the great restaurant quality hamburger is one of the fine delicacies in life that we afford ourselves. I encourage you to go celebrate life. Celebrate a, uh, a good evening with friends or family at Bulldog Burger Company. You can have an adult beverage there. You can have a chocolate shake there. You can have a glass of wine there. You can have a Diet Coke with a lime, which is what I normally get. As my friends from back home say, I've gone a little bit Hollywood. You can get whatever you'd like there. I love it. Get a great restaurant quality burger. I recommend the Pimentology Add Bacon. It'll put some hair on your chest. Maybe you don't feel like eating quite that hearty. Maybe have that BLT salad. I like it grilled. You may like it fried. Either way, it's fantastic. Get the spring rolls as your appetizer. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. I love Bulldog Burger Company. In fact, I loved them long before they were a sponsor of the show. Very happy to partner with them. You know what you're going to get. You're going to get a great meal at a great price, a great portion, great service, and great locations. You can expect the best in Bulldog Burger Company. You wanted the best. In the immortal words of Gene Simmons, you got the best. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's take a look ahead at our SEC preview. Interesting weekend, shall we say. You know, we've got a lot to discuss. There's always so these these Friday shows, we always kind of get kind of up to date. A lot of conference games this weekend, but a handful of teams that are off on bye weeks too. So we open up the 11 a.m. game, the barn burner that is Tennessee Martin versus Tennessee Knoxville. Now number three ranked Tennessee. I don't get them all right, but I'll tell you. I felt this Tennessee team was going to be really good. And they are, and and probably better than I anticipated, like most of you. I I really didn't think Tennessee could pull it off. And there was a possibility, but I didn't think they'd be able to pull it off last weekend. They did, which maybe says a little something about Alabama, too. Can you imagine, after losing to Alabama, who they consider their primary rival, over and over and over again to finally get over the hump? Heupel could run for governor up there right now. But UT Martin, their first in the Ohio Valley Conference. You know, maybe they get Tennessee to go through like a first quarter hangover. Maybe it's a game for a while. But you, you and I both know the Volunteers will out-athlete the Skyhawks. But uh, UT Martin now 4-2 and two on the year. They opened up with a 42-25 win over Western Illinois. They lose at Missouri State. That's the fighting Bobby Petrino's. They lose at Boise 30-7. to They bounce back. They beat Lindenwood. And raise your hands if you knew there was a college football team called Lindenwood. Put your hand down. 56-26 winners against Lindenwood. They get Tennessee Tech 45-28, and then they they win over the Racers of Murray State uh, last weekend 45-16. So they've won 3 in a row, putting up uh, some points here, 40 plus. Pretty impressive. Offensive team. I mean, other than the game against Boise State, offensively they've been really good. But they're gonna they're gonna face somebody this weekend that um, is gonna be able to get after them pretty good, and that's of course the Tennessee Volunteers. There is no line on the game, but I, you know Tennessee will win this game handily. You know they may sleepwalk through the first quarter, right? And that that's probably the only chance that the UT Martin has to make it a game. Tennessee wins this game big, and I, that's not a surprise. Now probably the most intriguing game of the day is going to be your cbs game at 230 Ole miss versus lsu lsu was unranked Ole miss is ranked in the top 10 and rightfully so right i mean if the shoe was on the other foot we were undefeated we'd be like hey we should be top 10 and they are I haven't really been challenged yet you know Auburn, i guess gave them a little bit of a, a challenge and that was a bit of a surprise kentucky i guess too but um I saw recently that uh, the Ole Miss strength of schedule was 109th in the country, and that's true. You know, they haven't really, quote, played anybody. They probably had the easiest first seven games maybe since 2012, you know, our We Believe year. But Ole Miss has done what you expect them to do. You know, that the players didn't make the schedule. You know, the coaches didn't make the schedule. The athletic department made the schedule years in advance. They're undefeated, as they should be. I know a lot of people think that they're a bit of a fraud. I don't know that I go that far. I think this is a good old Miss team, better than I expected them to be. I, we did expect them to get off to the big start, and then possibly lose out. I think that remains a real possibility, but I'll be honest with you. I kind of doubt that in some respect. I think Old Miss will find a way to win a game or two down the stretch, but it all starts this weekend against LSU. Now a lot of people say, "Well, you know, this is uh, this is their primary rival, and it's not Vanderbilt is." Uh, but let's let's kind of look at this a little bit too. You know, th- these games have been awfully interesting at times. There have been some years you look at it and you say, you know what, LSU is going to mop the field with Ole Miss, and they do. And there are other times Ole Miss finds a way to win. And, and I'll be honest with you, after living in Baton Rouge for 16 years, let me tell you this, the game means a whole lot more to Ole Miss than it does to LSU. It does. They They, they try to play nice with it. They really do. But there's nobody in Baton Rouge who considers Ole Miss a rival. There's not. There's maybe some older guys maybe that were around when Billy Cannon played that see it as a bit of a rivalry game. But the reality of it is the only team that sees this as a rivalry game is Ole Miss. And people say, oh, but Steve, they wanted the Magnolia Bowl trophy. Come on, give me a break. That thing looks like a bad industrial arts project. It's embarrassing. Oh, my gosh. Remember the big thing? A couple of guys in the Ole Miss media were talking about how – if Ole Miss beat State, just leave the golden egg right there on the field, well, then LSU actually did that. They left that tacky piece of junk Magnolia Bowl trophy, which is so stupid. I mean, just stop. Stop. But uh, but, but Ole Miss wins it last year, 31-17, and that broke a losing streak. LSU had won five in a row in the series. But the games, for the most part, had been competitive, for the most part. There were some games that hadn't, of course, you know, the – had the crazy game with John Rice Plumley a couple years ago. Had people kind of wondering, you know, hey, what's going to happen here? And John Rice doing a pretty good job out there for Central Florida, for sure. But uh, five in a row, and then you go back to 15, you know, Ole Miss wins that game 38-17 in Oxford. The year before, that's the Leonard Fournette game. Like, you've seen that meme out there where Leonard Fournette absolutely trucks an Ole Miss defender. I mean, some, some dude. You know, I don't even remember who he was. That's his claim to fame. Uh, But when you you go back all the way, really, to 2010, since 2010, Ole Miss has won the game three times. One of those in 13 was a 27-24 win. And if I'm not mistaken, it was like a last-second field goal. But uh, I like LSU in the ballgame. And uh, I don't just say that because it's Ole Miss. I mean, I think I've picked Ole Miss to win every game this year with the exception of the Kentucky game. This is a horse of a different animal, of a different color. Pardon me if I can get my mixed metaphors together there. I think LSU is beginning to kind of find a sense of itself. Uh, Armani Goodwin is back this week. And this is, an, this is an LSU team. At times you look at it and say, you know what? What's really going on with these guys? And other times you look at it and say they kind of got it figured out. They didn't play well against Dots for three quarters on the offensive side of the football. And give Mississippi State some credit for that. But in the fourth quarter, they, they said, this is who we are. This what we're going to do. And they ran the football. And our defense was gassed. But the reality of it is they did it. But I go back and I look at this crazy stretch here they've had. You know, they, they lost a the Florida State game, as you all know. We're talking a play different there. You know, but, you know, LSU could have been undefeated going into Tennessee a couple weekends ago. They got absolutely shelled at home. But uh, I think we look back and we look back and we say, you know what, that's a game we should have won, and I agree. But since they've played us, 38 nothing winners over New Mexico, you expect that. They get down 17-0 at Jordan-Hare and come back to win 21-17. And how do they do it? It's on the ground. They played Tennessee. Tennessee's able to exploit the secondary a little bit. I don't think that Ole Miss can do that. Now, that's not to say that they can't make some plays at times down the field. I think Jackson Dart, I think this is going to be a kind of a trial by fire for him. I just don't think they're prolific enough in the passing game to really attack LSU consistently through the air. And maybe I'm wrong. Tennessee was able to do that. Tennessee was able to do it against Alabama. So I don't know how you can you know, hold LSU in heavy indictment when you see what Tennessee did to Alabama. Let's just be honest here. Tennessee's a lot better than many people expected. And they absolutely destroyed LSU. Absolutely did. You go back and look at these numbers. Guys, they have 502 yards of offense in Tiger Stadium. It's crazy to think about. And Tennessee only ran four more plays in LSU, but had almost 150 more yards. It's absolute insanity. LSU threw for 300 yards against Tennessee. Tennessee goes for 239 and then runs for 263. So very balanced offense by Tennessee. Can Ole Miss be balanced? I don't think they can be. And I think the thing when you look at with this LSU team is, and we saw it too, once they get you behind the chains a little bit and they turn, uh, you know, old Jalari loose, it can be a different ball game for you. I like LSU to win this in a close one. We talk about kind of finding some identity here. I think that LSU ground game can really give Ole Miss some problems, and this game may be over 90 minutes, the way both teams want to run football. But, you know, last week I expected Florida to win the toss-up game against LSU. Didn't work out that way. LSU goes in there, and really an impressive victory. 528 yards of offense, and they limited Florida to just 59 offensive plays. 349 yards passing, 179 yards rushing. And the thing that I think about, too, how how do you want to attack Jaden Daniels? You know, he gave us some trouble, as you guys know. And it wasn't with these design quarterback running plays. It's when things broke down, and we're dropping, you know, seven eight guys in coverage next thing you know everybody's got their back to the football he'll just tuck and go get a first down how does Ole Miss contend with that well they'll spy the quarterback well that's easier said than done Jaden Daniels you know much like Hornsby I mean you you don't have a spy on the team that can consistently go out there and spy this guy say, well we'll put a safety out there man that guy runs like a wide receiver so it'll be interesting and of course we'll get a chance uh you know, to kind of keep up a little bit, you know, that'll begin to be the CBS game. So, I know many of you will watch that game before the Bulldogs take on, uh, take on Alabama. I like LSU in a close one. I think it'll be a good game. But I think it's, again, these are two teams that want to run the football. I think that game could be over really, really quick. But I think, I don't think, if it turns into a shootout, that'll be a surprise to me. I think this is like a 28-24, 27-24 type game. And I think that when you look at Ole Miss, too, Ole Miss has been a team that has really done a good job getting out of the gate. They do a good job scripting plays. They do a good job kind of attacking and maybe showing you some things that they haven't really shown on film. A lot. They do a good job getting off uh, into big starts. And I think that's what LSU has to really, really contend with is how do they handle that first quarter? If they could get through the first quarter with Ole Miss – you know, you got a chance to get a little separation. But Ole Miss, to their credit, has done a really good job kind of punching first. In a game like this, again, we expect to be, you know, a closely contested game. And it's on the road. It's so difficult to win in the SEC on the road. I don't care who you are or where you're from. When you have to go play on the road, you need some things to go right for you. And real quickly here, let's just kind of look look at this real quick to kind of to put frame it up a little bit as far as his first-quarter scoring stuff goes. I mean, some of these games, I mean, my goodness. I mean, like Ole Miss just hits the ground with lightning precision and execution, and you look up, and it's like, oh, the game is over. They haven't necessarily been the best in second halves. But they get out to the 7-0 lead on Troy, and then it is a 21-3 game at the half. And, of course, they cruise to a 28-10 win. It wasn't an impressive victory, but the bottom line is, did you need it to be? You know I, know, I know a lot of people wanted some style points there, but you know, you you get out strong and you win the game. Central Arkansas, it's 28 nothing after one, 31 nothing at the break, and Ole Miss cruises to a 59 to 3 win, and that doesn't say much about the team. But the reality of it is, you take care of business. Georgia Tech, it's 14 nothing after one, 21 nothing at the half, and of course they cruise to a 42 nothing win. Surely they're after Jeff Collins is fired. Tulsa actually has a first quarter lead against Ole Miss. You're thinking, wow, look at that. And then next thing you know, they explode in the second quarter and put up 28 points. It's 35-17 at the break. Ole Miss shot out in the second half. Tulsa made a game of it, just couldn't quite get there. They lose by eight. Ole Miss 14-6 lead over Kentucky. It's a 19-12 game at the half, and you know how that game ended up. Obviously, it was a pretty wild game. Nobody scored in the fourth quarter. How many times do you see that in an SEC game? Ole Miss and Vanderbilt... The great rivalry game, tied at three, and then, of course, Vanderbilt leads 20-17 at the break, and then Ole Miss absolutely destroys them in the second half, 35-8 to eight score in the second half. Uh, that, that's where your trophy is. I guarantee you when Vanderbilt beats Ole Miss, they won't leave the trophy on the field. Uh, Ole Miss and, and Auburn. Auburn jumps, excuse me, Ole Miss jumps out to a 14 nothing lead. I believe it was even 21 nothing. And it's 28-17, the break, and the next thing you know, it's a crazy third quarter. Auburn gets a 14-10 lead in the quarter, and then Ole Miss puts the game away. But again, that's the thing if you're LSU. You know, with rare exception, Ole Miss has come out and really thrown haymakers early on. And again, that's good coaching. And that that is good coaching. You can say what you want to. You may not have to like Lane Kiffin. I'd like him better if he wasn't up there, right? I'd like to be able to laugh at Lane Kiffin. But the reality of it is, is that you got to tip the cap here and say these guys have been well-prepared. They've been ready to play football games. They're going to need to bring quite the effort, I think, to go win at Tiger Stadium. And, again, I like LSU in a close one. A barn burner of a game here, Vanderbilt and Missouri. They put this game 3 o'clock opposite the CBS game. And let's be honest, the only people are going to watch this, of course, are Vanderbilt fans, Missouri fans. This is a big ball game for Missouri, though. I mean, honestly, the winner of this game keeps their slim bowl hopes alive. But if you're Eli Drinkwitz, you cannot lose this game. You absolutely can't. And so Vanderbilt, three and four on the season. So they're three games away from bowl eligibility. I know many of you are banking on that. Not going to happen. But when you begin to look at the schedule for Vanderbilt, this may be the last game that you really give them a chance to win, I guess maybe you could throw South Carolina in there. South Carolina's so much more athletic. I know last year Vanderbilt felt they should have beat Carolina in Columbia. But there's no home field advantage in Nashville. So you get off to a 3-1 start, and you're staring 3-9 right in the face. Vanderbilt's at Missouri. Then South Carolina goes to Vandy. Vandy's at Kentucky. Florida at Vandy. Tennessee at Vandy. So you're like, hey, we played three and last four at home. It doesn't matter. There is no home field advantage there. And maybe you've heard that Tennessee fans are looking to stripe out Vanderbilt Stadium. How incredibly embarrassing would that be? It's a big game for both of these teams to basically to basically decide the last place in the West. East, excuse me. I, I, dare, I disrespect the West. But Louisiana Tech gave Missouri a little bit of a battle early on. Missouri wins that game. Then Missouri gets smashed by Kansas State, if you all expected. They beat Abilene Christian 34-17 and then should have beaten Auburn. On the Plains, they didn't lose that game in overtime. You're going to score the game-winning touchdown. The ball is fumbled forward into the end zone. Auburn recovers. Auburn, Jesus, coming through there for the Tigers. And then Georgia goes to Mizzou, and Mizzou nearly pulls off the shocker of the number one ranked Georgia Bulldogs at the time. Pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. And then they go to the Swamp and nearly pull off that win. So when you look at this kind of in hindsight, you say, hey, they're 2-4. and Guys, the last three games, you could make a case Missouri should have won. Honest to goodness. They lose in overtime at Auburn. They lose by four at home to Georgia. And then they lose 24-17 in the Swamp. So while the record is putrid, Missouri is kind of, you know, maybe trending in the right direction. The problem that they're, they're, they're going to have is they're running out of games. They get Vanderbilt this weekend. All right, that right, let's go Missouri here. That's going to be a win. Okay, that gets you three and four. You got to find three somewhere to get Bo eligible. I just don't see it. Missouri is then at South Carolina. That could be an interesting game. Kentucky then goes to Missouri. Then Missouri is at Tennessee. New Mexico State, that's a W. That gets you to four. And then Arkansas is at Missouri. There's not another game outside the New Mexico State game that Missouri is going to be favored in once you get through this weekend. And Missouri is going to host, you know, three of their last five games at home. I guess really four of the last six. And In that respect, the schedule is somewhat advantageous. But, I mean, do you have any confidence based on what you've seen, you know, from Kentucky and Tennessee and Arkansas, especially the way those teams run the football? You know, we, we never thought Georgia would be in a dogfight with Missouri either, but they were. But I think you begin to look at this and you realize neither of these teams are going to be eligible. But probably the, the one that has the best chance is Missouri. So you got to win this week to give yourselves, you know, a fighting chance. you got so many games coming at home. you got the New Mexico State game, which gets you to four. Can you find a way to win two SEC games? Granted, you've got you know, all Eastern teams with the exception of Arkansas, but I think Arkansas, by the time we get there, they're going to be you know, probably playing towards some better bowl uh, positioning. They'll have something left to play for. But, uh, you know, let's I, I look at this Missouri stuff, and I begin to ask myself, you know, you know they came, came out shooting, right, the first couple of seasons, found a way to get to the, the Eastern Division crown and get to the Atlanta – SEC championship game, when you begin to ask yourself, maybe we've undervalued these guys. They have done absolutely nothing since then. Those are the things that I just kind of look at. Back. Having to hire a new employee sometimes is the absolute worst, right? We've all been there. If you've got your own small business, I mean, you're, you're trusting your livelihood. You're trusting your baby, your blood, sweat, and tears with somebody perhaps you don't know very well. That's why you got to be 100% certain you have access to the best qualified candidates available. you got to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. How cool is that? There have been times in the past I've made hiring decisions when I was desperate for an employee. it been nice to have had a partner to help me screen through some of this and make sure that I get people that fit the specific skill set I'm looking for. It's so easy to go make a free ad today at LinkedIn. Maybe you should. then add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it much easier to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to actually meet, interview, and ultimately hire. It's important to have the right team. It's why every small business rates LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus your leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster than ever before. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash Boneyard. That's LinkedIn.com slash Boneyard to post your job for free. Some terms and conditions may apply. In hindsight, it's like, hey, when Missouri came in the league, we all thought, okay, well, this is going to be really more for, for basketball. They haven't done hardly anything in baseball other than, than wreck our seasons the last couple of years, right? It's weird how life works sometimes. But, um, you know, looking at what they've done since joining the league, you know, and I remember when they first came in, you're like, these guys can really run the football. So they joined the Southeastern Conference, as you guys know. I guess that was back in what, 2012? Yeah, 2012. So they go 5-7 and seven in year one and two and six in the league. They win the East in 13 and then go on to win the Cotton Bowl and finish number five in the country. The next year, 2014, and that was the year when all the eyes were kind of on the West. They go seven and one in the East, 11-3 overall, get back to Atlanta. They win the Florida Citrus Bowl and finish ranked 11th in the country. We're thinking, you know what? Good for the East. They finally have some competition over there. Well, the next year, Gary Pinkle goes 5-7. They win one SEC game. Miss the bowl game. He's gone. Barry Odom is then promoted. Barry had one win in season. They go four and eight, two and six, finished dead last in the East. Then they go seven and six. Seven and five in the regular season, four and four in the league. They lose the Texas Bowl. At 18, they go eight and four, lose the Liberty Game. Liberty Bowl game, and then in 19, they go 6-6 six and six and 3-5 and five and out of the bowl picture. didn't get picked that year. And so they, they fired Barry Odom, which was uh, interesting. I mean, he'd, only, he'd been there four years and had one losing season, and he's one of their own. Now, of course, he's the defensive coordinator for the University of Arkansas. But they fire him and uh, bring in Eli Drinkwitz. And Eli and him had a decent year in 2020 despite it being the COVID year. They go 5-5. Five and five. They made the Music City Bowl and they had to cancel the game. You know, we destroyed Missouri that year. And then last year they go 6-7. and seven, And 3-5 and finished fourth in the East and they lose the Armed Forces Bowl. Couldn't be us. But back-to-back years, you know, non-winning seasons. Barry Odom had won losing season and won six and six year and Eli you know two years into this thing and yes they have put up some offensive numbers at times against uh, some teams that are interesting you don't have that marquee win yet you don't have that game you look at and say you know what hey we're trending in the right direction and yes they have been better as of late I can't believe I spent this much time talking about Vanderbilt Missouri but we're going to move on I like Missouri I don't think Vanderbilt can score uh, Mississippi State, of course, Alabama. You know my thoughts about the game. You know, we're a top 25 matchup. State won't be ranked next week. And I, and I hate it, but the reality of it is, you know, I, I so many Bulldogs yesterday at Celebration Village said, you know what, Steve, we should be undefeated. You know, I, I could make that argument on paper. And I'll go back. The LSU game, yeah, we gave that one away. Kentucky beat us. As much as I hate to say that, because I don't like Kentucky. I think they're overrated. I think they're a media darling for some reason. But they beat us. We can't look back and say, well, we muffed the pint or we did this. We laid a ball on the ground. No, they just beat us. They were the better team on that day. And that's how we determine who's better and who's worse. We get together and we play a competition. They won the game. They deserve to be able to brag. The LSU game, I feel much differently about. We gave the game away. We were leading that for three quarters. Well, we have nine drops. I think officially they gave us seven. We had nine drops. We had the muff punt. It was on us. It was. We blew it. Yes, OSU made the place to win the game late, but we opened the door for that to happen. The Kentucky thing, completely different. Completely different. We got beat. And unfortunately, we're going to get beat again this week. And, and what's interesting, too, like I, I read all this stuff, like, oh, they're going to be really angry and mad. You thought you were going to get an unfocused Alabama team? I mean, honestly, I don't think last week makes any difference. You don't, you don't think that, like, if they had beaten Tennessee, they were going to take it easy on us? You you, don't, you hadn't paid attention to Nick Saban the last 20 years. There was no chance of us getting an unfocused Alabama team. Will they be a little bit more locked in this week because of uh, some of those guys maybe losing a job? Yeah. But we were never going to sneak up on Alabama. This game was going to be what it was going to be regardless of what happened with Tennessee. I mean, you couldn't beat us bad enough to erase that loss. And I think in some respects, too, like some people say, Steve, this is a trap game. No, it's not a trap game when they lose the game going into it. But the reality of it is, my hope is the state can go over there and keep this game competitive. I just think that the talent differential between the two teams is just too expansive. And that's not to say that we've recruited poorly. Alabama is one of the better recruiters in the history of college football. we got our work cut out for us. We, we do. We need some things to, to to go well for us. We need them to be an undisciplined football team. We got to go over there and bring our best effort. Now, if we go over there just trying to go through the motions and not get hurt, we're gonna get embarrassed, absolutely embarrassed. And of course, State under Mike Leach has not scored an offensive touchdown. That'd be step one, right? Let's go see if we can't score. You know, and I think guys like Will Rogers, you gotta play like you got nothing to lose, because in reality, you don't. Nobody's expecting you to win this ball game all of a sudden you go over there and you scare them a little bit. Maybe you get that game into the second half. Who knows, you know, not expecting it. But uh, I love our team. I love our players. I love our coaching staff. I love Mississippi State, and, and I'm hoping for the best, but I'm, I'm preparing for the worst here. And I, I don't expect State uh, to cover in the ballgame. I just hope we can make it competitive for a while and kind of take a step. As I mentioned in the last year, that's the most difficult part of this Bulldog football experience for me is that we can't be more competitive against Alabama. It's like we're never gaining any ground on Alabama. And ultimately what you want to do is to try to find a way to get back to Atlanta. You know, we've actually done that. I know it's been forever and a day. But Jackie Sherrill showed that it's possible. We just got to be able to play our best football, maybe when perhaps other people don't. You know, Dan Mowen finished second to West a couple times. We've been right there, just had not been able to get over the hump. I want to be able to get back to the hump, right? Let's get back to when we start looking at this Alabama game, thinking, hey, we get those guys at our place this year. Hey, we got a chance. In recent years, we haven't been able to say that. 2017 is probably the only year, and I remember talking to a couple guys that we know, and you know if I told their names, you know who I'm talking about. They said that was one of the games on their schedule they were worried about back in 2017 having to go to Starkville with the way we could run the football, and especially as we got closer to the game and they were so beat up at linebacker. We're able to take advantage. And, of course, Dan Mullen with the wrinkles put Nick Fitzgerald in under center and we just could run right at him. We should have won the game. But they knew that it was going to be a competitive game. They, they absolutely knew it and expected it. I would love to be able to get back to the point where Alabama can come out there and say, you know what, hey, we got to take these guys seriously. And I don't know if they do. Texas A&M at South Carolina. This is an intriguing game. I think it was Ben Portnoy that dug up the stat that uh, would would t- more than one week to prepare Shane Beamer's 5 I at South Carolina. Love Shane. Happy for Shane. Had a big win against Kentucky I didn't expect him to get. That st- keeps him in the contention for a bowl game. This is a big one, too. I just don't like the matchup for South Carolina. a and coming off a bye week. You give Haynes King some time. You know, Haynes King's got to do a better job, obviously, but the guy nearly beat Alabama within a play. I didn't like the play call, but, and then Haynes King was, you know, basically on one foot at that point. The kid's a warrior, give him credit. I think this boils down to bow the quarterback, Spencer Rattler and Haynes King. Uh, Devin Ochain's got to have a good game for AM. I like AM to win the game. I think it'll be a very interesting game, but I like AM to win the game. So your winners this week Tennessee, LSU, Missouri, Alabama, A&M. The only road team we're going with is A&M. But I do think that Ole Miss-LSU game is going to be awfully, awfully interesting. It's like I, I hate to even look at the schedule and say, you know what, you know, there's a couple games here that probably won't be close, and we're one of them. I, I just, I hate that feeling. I do, I absolutely hate it. I hate being an also-ran in the SEC West. Yes, I understand the reality of this, but... You remember how much fun 2014 was and, in some respects, 2015, right? You look at that 17 team you feel like, hey, we should have been better. 18 should have been better. But, you know, you always felt like we'd be able to compete. And this is not something that's begun under Mike Leach, right? I mean, you, let, you know, we knew we couldn't score with Joe Moorhead. We did. We, we, we knew it. You remember how bad we were offensively in 17? Excuse me, 18? And then, of course, 19, Garrett Schrader basically willed us to wins, which is what he's doing now for Syracuse. And I've seen some of the commentary on Facebook too. Guys, Garrett Schrader is just not a fit for this scheme. Okay, That's not to say he's a bad quarterback. I'm very happy for Garrett. He's a great young man. Wish him the best. But he would not have been able to be undefeated with this schedule in this scheme. That's just the reality of the situation. Okay. Wish him the best. We don't have to wish him back here. He'd be miserable here. He wouldn't be playing. So I'm happy for him to be able to do it there. But that's how I feel about this group. And uh, I think most of you guys probably would agree with those picks. But um, that's why we play the games. You just never know what's going to happen. Wouldn't it be something if Vanderbilt beat Missouri and got to four? And then they finished four and eight. Clark Lee, I'm sorry. It's not the year. Time for today's top ten list. Brought to you as always by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair. B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair is your friend in the mortgage industry. Many people have questions. Blair has answers. 21 years of experience in the industry. Nobody stays in any business for 20-plus years without getting things done. They just won't let you stay, right? I mean, nobody's going to keep paying you because they like you. you got to be able to produce, man. Coffee's for closers. Blair might as well just have it set up as an IV drip. He closes all the time. There are a lot of people that have questions and have concerns about life moving forward with a mortgage, maybe you're in foreclosure. Maybe you're on the verge of going into foreclosure. Maybe you dropped a couple of payments. Maybe some you, know, you live above your means and maybe you're overextended. Blair can help provide some solutions for you. Give Blair a call or text today. I'm going to give you his personal cell number. That's how important this is. 601-500-2344. 601-500-2344. You're not going to get a receptionist. You're not going to get you know this big labyrinth of 800 numbers where you have to hit all these numbers and they just keep transferring to your wrong department you're going right to the man himself top one percent close ratio in the country works or fairway mortgage recently voted number one in customer satisfaction with mortgage loan origination be sure and check them out today at closewithblair.com. okay we're kind of revisiting the topic i've given you a spin of an old one you know yesterday i tweeted out and uh, the tweet got a lot of traction Yesterday was the 45-year anniversary of Leonard Skinner's plane crash at Gillsburg, Mississippi. I have not been by to see the memorial. I have years before they put all this together. I drove by and at least, you know, saw the, the site. I didn't get out and go look, but they've got fences up to kind of protect some of the wreckage stuff is still there, and it's on private property, so don't go down there and try to get anything. It's all kind of, uh, kind of macabre anyway. Um, But the reality of it is, is now you can go down there and celebrate. They had a get-together yesterday. I wish I could have made it. I really do. And for those of you that went down to Memorial and got shirts and paid your respects and brought flowers, man, bully for you. Great for you, and thanks for doing that. Mississippi is a part of the uh, Leonard Skinner heritage. So uh, I want to talk to you today about Alan Collins. So we're going to have the top ten Skinner songs that Alan Collins either wrote or co-wrote. Now, Alan Collins is my favorite member of Leonard Skinnerd. Absolutely incredible performer. If you see the live videos, the guy had such incredible energy. But Allen's also a guy that lived a very, very, very fatalistic life. Very, very difficult life. Um, of course, he survived the plane crash. They nearly amputated his arm. His dad refused to let them do it. They ultimately saved the arm. He goes on to put the uh, Rossington Collins band together has some hits there, him and Gary fall out. He puts the Alan Collins band together. They were actually called Horsepower. And then right before the album came out, they changed it to Alan Collins band for name recognition, but also there was another Southern rock band out there named Horsepower. And then Alan had lived such a difficult life. He had all this survivor's guilt from the plane crash. And then shortly thereafter, as he's still dealing with the aftermath of that, his wife, Kathy, died of a brain hemorrhage during child labor. Left him with two young girls, and he never got over it. Gary Washington and Billy Powell both had commented that um, that's what put Allen over the edge. And he was already a big drinker and a hellraiser and, and drove too fast and he notorious for having his license suspended and revoked. He, he was a drink driver, drunk driver, and then on, in addition to that, he liked to drive fast. He lived reckless. And a lot of that, too, a lot of people thought that he kind of had a death wish after Kathy died. After Kathy had passed away, they think that Alan basically had this death wish. And then ultimately had a car accident, sadly, that uh, took the life of another young lady. Of course, at this point, he had, uh, had a new girlfriend. And... Uh, we're, neither were wearing their seatbelt, Alan had been drinking, and uh, they said he was the guy, too, that would, would always kind of hit the gas pedal and to kind of get a rise out of people. But he has this crazy car accident, and basically on a straightaway, he and his girlfriend at the time, Deborah Jean Watts, were, were arguing. They both leave the vehicle, she dies. He is paralyzed from the waist down, which robbed him of his ability to play guitar. And uh, at that point, you know, he went to, um, went to court and they basically made a deal where he would go to every Leonard Skinner concert and in his wheelchair and then explain why he wouldn't play it. And talk about the dangers of drinking and driving, but drugs and alcohol. And sadly, we lost Alan Collins in 1990 at the age of 37. And I remember watching that VH1 behind the music of Leonard Skinner and his mom talking about, you know, burying a child, how that's the worst. But Alan Collins lived a, a very tragic life. He had um, some of the greatest moments and many of the worst moments. But I wanted to honor Alan Collins today, who I think is probably the most underappreciated member of Leonard Skinner, and he really shouldn't be. He wrote so many hits, so we're gonna honor that today. A lot of people, of course, know, uh, you know Ronnie Van Zant. You know, he and Ronnie was the primary songwriter, but he and Alan, I think the two of them together achieve some real magic so here are my in my estimation the top 10 leonard Skinner songs written by alan collins or at least co-written by the the one that didn't make the list is coming home that didn't make the list that's a great one but here are my 10 all right number 10 off the great album give me back my bullets it's Every Mother's Son. Now, some of these are going to be deeper tracks, and some of these are going to be legendary tracks with some stories perhaps you don't know. But Every Mother's Son, a great track, a little more bluesy, almost country there. From the album, with the same name. giving me back my bullets. Number nine is Double Trouble, not the Steve Ray Vaughan version, the Leonard Skinner version. These are all original tracks. From the great album, Nothing Fancy, number eight on your list is On The Hunt. This opening riff, too, is very, very, very indicative of Alan Collins. An amazing picker. Like, a lot of people are good strummers. He's a great picker. He can pick things out. And when we get a little bit deeper in this list, you're going to understand that. Also, from Give Me Back My Bullets, a great song, All I Can Do Is Write About It. A lot of people, those first four songs, many of you probably don't know them, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this today. You're going to listen to some of these, and you'll be like, dude, these are incredible. Because if all you've done is listen to the greatest hits, I think in many ways you deprived yourself of the Leonard Skinnerd experience. Not to say the hits aren't amazing. They are. But there are some other sort of tracks that are kind of buried away on maybe some albums you aren't quite as familiar with. I mean, everybody has pronounced Leonard Skinnerd. Maybe you hadn't gotten into Nothing Fancy or Give Me Back My Bullets. Maybe you know Street Survivors. A lot of people bought that kind of as a tribute to the band after the, the crash. But those first five albums are phenomenal. And, and in many respects, and I, I say this with as much love and respect as I can for Johnny Van Zant, it's not the same. It, it's absolutely not the same. You go back and get those first five albums, and I think you've really kind of encapsulated the spirit of Leonard Skinner. I, I appreciate the many people that have come back and come along to kind of keep the legacy of Skinner alive. And, of course, they've been on the farewell tour now as long as KISS has. But um, I think the reality of it is is when that plane went down in Gillsburg, Mississippi, in many respects, Leonard Skinner died too. All right, so number six on the list from Pronounced, leonard skinner the debut album and i don't know if you guys know this too that that the album cover the picture was shot in Jonesboro, georgia one of these days i hope to go to that site and have my own picture made on that site and sadly the only member of the band that's still alive it was in that picture is gary rossington they didn't all die in a plane crash but they've all died since and including ed king you know ed king was not even originally a guitarist he originally played bass, some pronounced winner Skinner, and then they got Leon Wilkerson back in the band. But it's one of those deals where they wanted to have, you know, the, all the horses pulling, you know, have, have three guitarists. And so Steve Gaines was not in the band initially. It was Alan Collins, Gary Rossington, and then Ed King uh, in the live performances. And Leon Wilkerson's in the liner notes and sort of stuff too. But uh, Ed King originally from Strawberry Alarm Clock, you, the song Incense and Peppermints." So they were kind of a psychedelic band, and uh, Ed was looking for something a little bit bigger and better. Joined Leonard Skinner, and then when he left the band, it's when Steve Gaines joined the band. But Tuesday's gone. Number six, a lot of people have covered that track. And I don't know if you, if you realize this, for you casual fans, Tuesday is the girl's name. It's not necessarily the day, Tuesday. All right, number five, this is one that's kind of uh, indicative and in many ways kind of uh, enigmatic when you look at um, the life of one Alan Collins, but it's a needle in a spoon. I love the guitar riff on this one. I think this is a song, too, that like a lot of true Skinner fans listen to it. They think, you know what, this kind of typifies who Alan Collins was and his style of playing. But it's off Second Helping, which, of course, is the second album. A great album. I think in many respects kind of overshadowed because of all the hits that came on, pronounced Leonard Skinner, but a really strong sophomore effort from Leonard Skinner. Be sure and check that out. You'll be glad you did. From that same album, it's the Ballad of Curtis Lowe. And, you know, let's be honest, too. If you grew up in South Mississippi or maybe South Alabama or wherever, everybody knew Curtis Lowe. Just had a different name. Maybe had a little bit of a different story. But Curtis Lowe is every everywhere, in every small town. And I, I remember i being a kid, we had our own Curtis Lowe. We had a, had an elder gentleman that uh, when we were underage drinking, we could always find him. And we'd drive him to the liquor store, buy him a uh you know, buy him a pint of uh Canadian Mist or something like that, and he'd go in and get whatever he wanted. And um some ways I feel somewhat guilty about that. But other parts of me too, I was like, you know what, this is a guy that just needed a drink and And we helped him, and he helped us. But uh, Curtis Lowe is everywhere, absolutely everywhere. And I think that's the reason that song is so relatable is because everybody knows somebody like that. And our Curtis Lowe in Columbia, Mississippi, could play the harmonica. And that's one times I would see him sometimes walking down South Haskell Avenue, and he's playing his harmonica. And I always knew where to find him, just about always. All right, from Street Survivors, the only song on the album, on our list today, that uh, is from the Street Survivors album, ironically, is Gary Rossington and Alan Collins had car accidents the same weekend. Now, some people say it was the same day. Based on my research, it's not the same day. It was the same weekend. And Alan Collins and Gary Rossington wrote the song, That Smell. And then it, of course, it opens up whiskey bottles, brand new car, oak tree in my way. And that's what happened. Gary Rossington was high on quaaludes and had, had drunk some whiskey, runs off the road and careens through some cars and hits a tree. And he lives, and they had to postpone the tour, and they find Gary Rossington $5,000. And back in the 70s, that was a lot of money. It would be a lot of money for some people today. It was a ton of money back then. But that smell is written a true story. About Gary Rossington's accident, and of course Alan Collins, I guess, felt some of those same feelings. And it seemed like Alan Collins was always kind of a, one one drink away from a drunk driving accident. All right, back to the last year. are going to be from pronounced Leonard Skinner. If you don't have that album, young people, download it today. Impress your folks, and really more so your dad. I know there's some. Uh, we have some great Leonard Skinner female fans. Don't get me wrong. But in many respects, like, you know, there's some songs that are like Simple Man that didn't make our list because Alan didn't write it. In Mississippi, I mean, that's almost like Amazing Grace to us. That's a redneck version of Amazing Grace. But one of the great songs, not just the Leonard Skinner catalog, but in the American music catalog, not limited to Southern rock, but it's Give Me Three Steps. Maybe you haven't been down at a place called The Jug with a girl named Linda Lou, but you've been somewhere you shouldn't be with somebody you shouldn't and nearly had an incident. And that's all you're thinking, let me just get out of here. If I could just find some way to extricate myself from the drama, I'd be happy. An amazing song that tells a great cautionary tale. Love the song, and I love the guitar riff too. And again, this is all Alan Collins. Van Zandt, of course, structured lyrics, but the song itself, that's an Alan Collins song. And maybe you didn't know this, but Alan Collins was scared of Ronnie Van Zandt and Gary Rossington. And when they first got Alan to join the band, at the time they were called the 1%, Alan Collins was a guitarist and he had his own PA. And that's really the only reason they went to go. They knew he could play and he had his own PA. They needed PA. And so they went to go get him and... uh, (laughs) He was so scared of Ronnie Van Zant, who Ronnie Van Zant absolutely had the reputation of a hellraiser and he liked to drink and fight and everything else. And Alan Collins wasn't sure what he had done, but he got on his bicycle and he ran from him and and crawled up a tree to get away from him. And then Gary and those guys kind of coaxed him down, said, Now we want you to come join our band. And here he was, some teenage kid, didn't even have his own car, but he had his own guitar and his own PA running from Ronnie Van Zandt, guys that ultimately he would become a legend with. But number one, and we're going to talk a little bit about this song, because I don't know that some of you guys fully appreciate the song. It's one of the most legendary songs written in the history of American music and perhaps the world's music. We're talking Freebird. And I don't, I'll be honest with you, like I hear the people say stuff and it's almost like it's a, it's like a, it's almost like an insult. And people say, hey, play Freebird. You know, and maybe that's how you feel. But I think in many ways, when you say those things, you, there's a lot of people you're being disrespectful of. There are a lot of people that love the song, and they love Leonard Skinner, and they love the fact that this is a Southern rock band. And, and in many respects, a true Southern rock band. It was uh, really true to the South. And uh, some things maybe you don't know about the song. You know, the opening lyrics, if I leave here tomorrow, would you still remember me? Do you, I bet you even know where that comes from. Ronnie Van Zandt didn't write those lyrics. Alan Collins didn't even write those lyrics. Alan captured them. But it was in a fight one day between Alan Collins and his wife Kathy where she said that. She goes, if I leave here tomorrow, would you still remember me? That's the genesis of one of the greatest lines in the history of American music. It's a fight with his wife, and Alan, of course, was... uh, feeling somewhat remorseful for the fight after he'd sobered up, whatever. And those words stuck with him, and they became the opening lines to one of the greatest songs in American music history. Maybe you didn't know that. Now, here's another thing, too. The guitar solo on this song is one of the most iconic solos in the world. Alan Collins played it. You say, but Steve, there's two parts in this guitar solo. And you're absolutely correct. Alan Collins plays them both. He duels with himself. They double-tracked the album. They didn't play that live. He, he went back and dueled with himself. Gary Rossington, of course, played the slide guitar early on. Gary, an incredible guitar player. And if you read the interviews, Gary will tell you, that particular day, Alan was on fire. He knew what he wanted to do. We let him do it. Now, when they began to play it live, of course, Ed King had moved on from the band and Steve Gaines had joined the band and Steve played the secondary part live. But in the studio, the version that you hear on Spotify and Apple Music, that entire guitar solo, both pieces, played by Alan Collins. And if that doesn't show you the true genius of Alan Collins, I don't know what does. And of course, you know, his life took a very dramatic turn and much of this... He was already, you know, a southern boy, shall they say, in many respects. And then after the plane crash, he had this incredible issue with survivor's guilt. Incredible. Deep depression. Uh, tried to drink himself to death. And uh, you can read all these accounts of people that were in musical projects with him even after Skinnerd, And they said he had a death wish. They said he was just one of these kind of people that er- every single day... He would do kind of just crazy and stupid stuff, and he'd drive drunk and do things he shouldn't do. And it was incredible. Um, but they said even then, after, after he began to make some progress towards maybe healing himself a little bit when they had the Rossington Collins band together is when Kathy died, and that was it. That's where he felt like life was not going to be fair to him. And at that point forward, he basically commenced to drinking himself to death. And in addition to that, he ostracized everybody in the Leonard Skinner family away from him until he decided, you know what? This is not going to work out for me. And so he and his dad kind of worked together to bring Skinner back together as a tribute band. And that's when he ultimately had the car accident that um, led to him being paralyzed. And so I share all that because Alan Collins could have been any one of us. We didn't have the talent, but my point is you had this incredible tragedy in life and he didn't handle it well. And you can say, you know what? I I get it. I understand it. Very traumatic experience. I mean, you know, know, Travis Barker, of course, is a guy that survived the plane crash and had to go to years of therapy to to kind of come over it. And one of the guys too, I can't remember his name also had survivors guilt, ultimately killed himself. But, uh, sadly, Alan Collins has been dead now for 32 years, but, um, his music lives long. I wanted to celebrate that today, and uh, I was really kind of in a melancholy mood yesterday thinking about all the Skynyrd stuff and uh, wishing I could have gone down to Gillsburg, Mississippi and celebrated with you folks down there. Maybe next year we can pull that off. But uh, I'm so glad that they have done something on the site where people can go and celebrate Leonard Skynyrd and honor the memory of that day. And here's a story I'll tell you, too. True or untrue, this is a story that was related to me, and I'm sure somebody will reach out that – either can confirm, there'll be plenty of people that deny it. That's one thing I've learned about Leonard Skinner stuff. If If you tell a story about Skinner, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you got it directly from Ronnie Van Zandt himself. There will be somebody out to come out there and tell you how wrong you are. So I put this out here and I will tell you, I don't know if this is accurate. I was five years old when this happened. Okay. So I'm getting this kind of like in broken memories of my own. And then also too, from my uncle who was part of this deal. So, as you guys know, they were bringing that Colbert back from Greenville, South Carolina. Last show that Leonard Skinnerd played with Ronnie Vanzant was in Greenville, South Carolina. They were scheduled to play in Baton Rouge at LSU, and they were flying back from Greenville. They began to have some engine trouble over the state of Mississippi. And so, as they're flying... They're in touch with a tower at the small airstrip in Columbia, Mississippi, which is my hometown. And it's in the evening hours. It's beginning to get dark, and it seemed like it got darker a lot earlier back then. But they didn't have a lot of lighting at the airstrip back then. I remember as a young kid seeing all of that later, but at the time there was some issue. And so they were trying to get the plane to land in Columbia, and they had the first responders, everybody was out there, and you know, people just wanted to help, right? And then shortly before that, all of a sudden, this engine trouble cleared up. Well, come to find out, kind of in hindsight, is that it was pilot error. They did not top off the tank or something like that, and they thought the fuel gauge was malfunctioning. And then, of course, the plane crashed in Gillsburg, Mississippi. They were trying to get to the Macomb Airport because the uh, you know, Columbia and Macomb are not far apart but he bypasses the Columbia airport thinking they're fine. And all of a sudden the problem again began to reemerge and they were trying to make it to Macomb, couldn't make it. And so they crashed out there in Gillsburg. And so sometimes I think to myself, what if they had stopped in Columbia? Would we have had the same situation? A little trivia too about that plane, Aerosmith turned down that plane. they felt that it was a little bit too sketchy, didn't do it. Skinner took the plane, and, and legend has it, this was going to be their last flight on that plane. Don't know if that's true. You know, Of course, things change. But uh, the reality of it is, is in many respects, you know, Leonard Skinner, it's Mississippi music, even though they're not from Mississippi. They're not from Alabama either. But they sing about Sweet Home Alabama, and they play that song all the time. But uh, the reality of it is, Leonard Skinner, a true Southern rock band, uh, and a lot of people to this day Still respect Skinner. And so we spent a lot of time talking about this. I felt it was important for us to honor them. Of course, it's one day removed from the 45-year anniversary. But Alan Collins, a tragic hero and a legendary guy. I can can still see all those videos of him up there with that explorer. And he's a guy, too, that played the Les Paul, played the of Strat, whatever he needed to play to get the sound that he wanted. An absolute genius. So I hope you enjoyed the list today. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out, let us know. You can find Roy on Twitter at Dogmatic67. That's D A W G M A T I C67. And also on Spotify at Dogmatic67. All right, it's time for your SEC wrap up. Kind of preview, kind of look at where we are. This segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Campus Bookmart, a longtime sponsor of the show and a great contributor to the Mississippi State fan base. Selling great merchandise to a great fan base. Doing it better than anybody else. Best selection in the known universe. The Bully Shop completely renovated. Go buy and check it out today. They've expanded the selection. That's the best thing about it. It's upstairs. Easy to get to. No longer in the textbook business. Just selling Mississippi State merch. No better destination for your shopping dollars in the greater Starkville area. And really, in the Milky Way. Then Campus Bookmark. Go by and see their smiling faces each and every day next time you're in town. If you can't make it to town, be sure and visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And use promo code BSR to save you a little cash. you got a bit of a change. You know, shipping prices have changed. Promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson, gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks Because of the cost of shipping has gone up. We've had to raise the threshold there you're going to spend 75 bucks anyway. So that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR, to get free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. That's a change the first day we've done that that goes into effect today. So free shipping, 75 bucks and up. Again, get you free shipping on all those orders, 75 bucks or up. And you're going to spend that easily, no doubt about it. So be sure and check them out today, campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. Okay, Let's kind of get caught up today on to where we are in the Southeastern Conference. We've already done the schedule. Let's look at the standings. It may, may be a little painful, okay? The SEC East, Georgia 7-0 and overall, 4-0 in conference. Guys, they've allowed just 64 points this year. That's not even close. Like The, the number two team, not even close. And Texas A&M's allowed 113. They're second. So, goodness, hey, Georgia, almost half. Of what the number two team, and they lost so much on that defense. It's, well, you know, yeah, you know, not gonna be the same. They're getting it done. They've scored 292 points, which is second most in the Southeastern Conference. So their win differential, the best in the SEC. Tennessee, and man, that Georgia-Tennessee game. Hey, if you want to find a game to go to that that involves the Bulldogs, get a ticket to that bad boy. They're 3-0 in conference, 6-0 overall. Already had their bye week. They've won six in a row, obviously. Undefeated. Good team. Again, maybe exceeding expectations. Hinton Hooker now getting some Heisman Trophy mentions. We expected that. We talked about that last week and felt like maybe a good game would kind of get him in that conversation. Well, he had a great game, and they won against Alabama. So now all of a sudden, Hinton Hooker, not just a good Southeastern conference story, just a good college football story. Guy's doing a great job. No doubt about it. You know, people forget, too. Another transfer. And these guys are the exceptions, right? A misses is a guy that was running 14. Transfers to Tennessee. Loses the job last year. Gets it back. Tennessee and Josh Heupel. Kind of the talk of the conference right now. Kentucky, 2-2 two and two in the league and 5-2 and two overall. They've outscored their opponents by 70 points. And, of course, some of that came you know, against Mississippi State last weekend. But uh, Kentucky, again, a lot of people predicted them to be second in the East and potentially challenging Georgia for the SEC Eastern crown. They're two games behind Georgia. Of course, they still have the opportunity to play Georgia, but need some help somewhere. They've basically got to win out. That's going to be difficult to do. Let's take a quick look at that Kentucky schedule and kind of see what's left. Uh, You could say in many respects they – you know, they have a situation where they, uh, I guess in some respects, they control most of their own destiny. They don't control it all. They get a bye week this week, obviously, and then they will be at Kentucky next week. I expect that to be a loss. But the way Kentucky's played defense, you kind of got to tip your, your cap a little bit and say, hey, these guys have done a pretty good job. And then Kentucky's at Mizzou. That should be a win. Vanderbilt at Kentucky. That should be a win. And then Georgia at Kentucky. I've got that as a loss, and then Louisville at Kentucky, I've got that as a W. And so you look at it now, they went from potentially being 7-5, and five, probably on track now to be an 8-4 team, which is what we projected them to be at the beginning of the year. Also projected Mississippi State to beat them, but uh, not a lot of toss-ups. I think they'll lose to the ranked teams and then defeat the unranked teams and, and finish about what we expected. You know, They'll end up 8-4. and four. <clears throat> That's what I suspect. South Carolina, 1-2 and two in the league, 4-2 and two overall, and uh, they've won three in a row. So strike it up for Beamer Ball. And again, that Kentucky win looks a little bit louder in hindsight. That's a good W to go into Lexington and win that game against a 13th-ranked Kentucky Wildcat team and beat them by 10 points. The game was never really close in the second half. And of course, A&M is at South Carolina. I've got that as a loss for the Gamecocks. Missouri at South Carolina, I've got that as a win for the Gamecocks. And the the Gamecocks at Vanderbilt, that's two there. That gets them to ball eligibility. And I thought they would really struggle to do that. That Kentucky win kind of puts them over the top. They end the season on a murderer's row of sort. It's an unranked Florida team, but it's always difficult to go into the swamp and win. But that's probably the most likely win of those final three for the Gamecocks. Then it's Tennessee at South Carolina, and then South Carolina at Clemson. So they're going to close the year right now with two teams currently ranking the top five. Pretty crazy to think about it. So here we go. Probably a 6-16. Six and 16. Probably. Now, if they win this weekend, you've got a little margin for error. Maybe be back-to-back bowl trips for the Gamecocks. And again, probably not really ascending to the upper echelon of the SEC East, but I think Shane Beamer is really legitimizing himself as a coach in the Southeastern Conference. And of course, a lot of people expected them maybe to be a little more of a threat in the East this year with Spencer Rattler, and he's really struggled at times. But they're athletic enough to compete with most teams in the league. Florida right now, one and three in the league and four and three overall. And of course, South Carolina could go into the swamp and beat them. I, I don't know if they're quite ready for that. But the Florida team right now, You know, they got that loud win over Utah early on, and it's just kind of been up and down ever since. The Billy Napier experience, we talked about how he kind of excels in one-possession games. They've won most of those this year, but uh, they have not been able to really contend with teams that show a real balanced offense. Florida, of course, loses to LSU last week. Uh, They get the bye week this week. And then they're at Georgia for the cocktail party. That's a loss. Then Florida goes to AM. If I had to call it today, that's a loss. South Carolina at Florida, I'm going to give Florida the win there. Florida at Vanderbilt, that's a win. And then Florida State, the final week of the season, that's a toss-up game if there ever was one. So you look at Florida right now, and you got to go to Doak Walker. In the toss-up, we're going to favor the home team. That leaves Florida 6-6 six and six on the year six and six maybe they get it seven and five but six and six and that's assuming they beat south carolina which again is going to be a bowl team missouri we mentioned them earlier zero and three in the league two and four overall they're going to struggle to get ball eligible vanderbilt zero and three three and four they're going to struggle to get ball eligible so you should have five teams reach bowl eligibility in the sec east and i believe two of those will be of the six and six variety south carolina and florida which should put Mississippi State ahead of them in the ball pecking order. Should. Should. I think State probably finishes kind of right there around Kentucky. I think Tennessee, of course, maybe maybe the upstart story this conference really needed this year, a team that will certainly be in a New Year Six if they continue their current trajectory. But, man, that Tennessee-Georgia game, man, that is going to be a barn burner right there. Absolutely. Okay, look at the West. Seven games into the SEC schedule, and Ole Miss leads the SEC West. Take a picture, Rebel fans. It may not be this way forever. The Rebels 3-0 in the conference, 7-0 overall. We expected them to probably be 7-0, maybe 6-1 at this point in the season. And, again, give them credit. Give them credit for winning the games they're supposed to win. If, If the shoe was on the other foot, we would be awfully proud of our team. And even though we despise Ole Miss, you have to give credit where credit's due. They've done a good job and i like many others but i I'll, I'll wear it i thought this offense would really struggle without jeff Levy. a change in philosophy a change in play calling they have changed their offense and really have done a good job and you have to again tip the cap to the rebels but a difficult schedule coming up let's take a quick look at what they have and kind of what they're looking at again i think they take their first loss this weekend if they if they find a way to win that ball game i think you've got to be really kind of get serious about thinking about Ole Miss really seriously contending for Atlanta. I do think they lose this week, and then they get on the road the next week at A&M. Tough place to play at College Station. That's a very good A&M defense. Again, that game could probably be played in a phone booth. You won't see what happens, but it's difficult to go on the road and win in College Station. Maybe you're somewhat familiar. We've gone down there and won, and that's been some of our better road wins here in the last couple years. But it's never been an easy undertaking. I don't think anybody ever looks at a trip to College Station, which is, you know, it's an incredible atmosphere, whether you like the yell leaders or not. They pack it in there and do a good job. It can be intimidating. But A&M, 9-2 all-time against Ole Miss. And one of those wins came last year in Oxford. But when you look at College Station, the only time that Ole Miss has won in College Station, of course, is the... Uh, that's the, the you know the, the Shea Patterson game when the, you know when the declaring ledger had the star is born thing. Uh, they've actually vacated a couple of games that Ole Miss won as part of the sanctions for the um, the Hugh Freeze era there. But uh, College Station wins. You know the last time they played in College Station was 2018. The A&M won 38-24. The time before that was a 29-28 win. That's the Shea Patterson game. That game was vacated. And in 2014, they win 35-20. That game also vacated. Prior to that, the only other trips to College Station were 1975 and 1911. But it's a difficult place to play. We'll see how things go this weekend. But, um, you know, I I would say right now that's a toss-up game, which always favored the home team. And then Alabama goes after after Ole Miss's bye week. Alabama goes to Ole Miss, and then Ole Miss goes to Arkansas, and then there's the Egg Bowl. So I think if you look at this Ole Miss schedule, the games they're supposed to win, I think, are behind them. I think there are a lot of toss-ups, and there's a lot of road games. And when you look at this schedule, it's, you know, they have two home games the rest of the way, Alabama and then the battle for the Golden Egg. And based on how they played the last couple of weeks and how we played, you know, probably favor Ole Miss at this point. But you never know the shape these two teams are going to be in by the time that you get uh, to Thanksgiving. So that's going to be awfully interesting. But, again, Ole Miss about to earn it three of the last five on the road against SEC West opponents. So we'll see. But, again, I think this Ole Miss team, obviously, uh, will be a good bowl team. And uh, they're a team, too, that, uh, again, you kind of tip your cap, whether you like them or not. Alabama now 3-1. and one. They still control their own destiny because they could go into Oxford and beat Ole Miss and then win the tiebreaker. 6-1 and one overall. Of course, they lose the ball game last week. Uh, You look at the numbers here, 315 points four, which is the most points scored in a Southeastern Conference. They've allowed 127. So more than doubling up the score of their opponents. We expect that to continue this weekend until State can show they can go in there and score offensively against Alabama. You can't expect State to keep the game competitive. You hope they do. But uh, a big ball game, obviously, uh, for Alabama on the horizon as they get ready to go into Oxford this schedule, too, for Alabama, too. You know, a, a lot of the difficulty of the schedule was behind Alabama. And that's one of the things that I think maybe some of the national media has kind of passed on. State goes in Alabama this week. They go to uh, LSU November 5th. So, by week, before they play LSU, I think you'd have to say that you favor LSU in that ballgame because, give all Miss credit, they're a very physical football team. Likely to beat up on LSU a little bit. They'll have a, you know – Alabama will get a week to heal, too. So Alabama goes to LSU, then Alabama at Ole Miss, and then Austin P at Alabama, and then the Iron Bowl at home. So Ole, Ole Miss is ahead in the West, but I think the schedule down the stretch certainly favors Alabama. But you never know. That's why we play the games. LSU, we mentioned them earlier, You're know, five and two overall, three and one in the league. Averaging, you know, averaging. Scored 236 points on the year, allowed 149. And, again, I think this LSU team is kind of finding a sense of themselves. You start looking at their schedule. Again, I mean, hey, they're in the same position Alabama's in, right? I mean, if they could beat Alabama, let's say they win the next two. LSU takes down Ole Miss. Well, then all of a sudden that creates a three-way tie. And then LSU beats Alabama. Well, now all of a sudden, LSU leads the SEC West and then you look at the schedule. Once they get through these next couple of weeks, they get through Ole Miss, they get through Alabama, and again, both of those games are in Death Valley. You go to Arkansas, which will be one of the more physical games you see this year. Then it's UAB, and then they go to to College Station. You just feel like if LSU could win these next two, then all of a sudden they're the odds-on favorite to win the West. Pretty crazy to think about the way that people have looked at LSU and kind of diminished the quality of their season – And again, a couple big ball games in front of you, but I mean, honestly, when you look at these LSU-Alabama games, you never know how things are going to go. And I think Alabama will do a good job against Jaden Daniels to get the athletes out there, especially linebacker, to kind of hold him accountable. But what happens if LSU wins the next two? Now, all of a sudden, Brian Kelly and those guys are trending in the right direction with a more favorable schedule. We've talked at length about Mississippi State. Let's look at College Station, Texas, and Maggies. Aggies. They're one and two in the league and three and three overall. And Mississippi State, of course, five and two. And so, you know, in a tiebreaker situation, because State wins the head-to-head, State would be higher in the bowl pecking order. And of course, the league makes those assignments. Contrary to popular belief, the SEC slots the teams. Everybody has a deal ahead of time. Just send us an SEC SEC team. Like people say, oh, well, this bowl wants so so-and-so. It doesn't matter. Outside of the Florida Citrus Bowl, it doesn't matter what the bowls want. Those assignments are made by the league. I don't care who else writes it. They're wrong. Our Texas A&M, a team that I thought would be better, to be quite honest with you. I thought they would be a better team. And they have shown some real flashes, obviously. You know, State, of course, gets after them. State scores 42 points on A&M, the most points scored against an Aggie defense since 2018. Did you know that? Yeah, true story. State scored more than Alabama did against A&M. And then A&M, of course, had to go on the road into Tuscaloosa and do that. All right, I've got them beaten, South Carolina and then old mess at A&M. And again, you never know what it's going to be like. You know, it's a toss-up game. We'll favor the home team. I'm going to take A&M there. Florida then at AM and based on what you've seen from Florida, would you see would you suggest that they could go in the college station and win? I'm gonna say no. And then AM goes to Auburn. Guys, honestly, you're looking at a potential five game winning streak for Texas AM. You say, Oh, really? Yes, really. I mean the most difficult game of those five is Ole Miss, because after they play at Auburn, they host UMass. And then they end the season at home against LSU. You could see Texas A&M get awfully hot here down the stretch and play their way into potentially a Florida bowl game. You look at it right now and you say, well, you know, Steve, they're they're three and three. Looking at their schedule, wouldn't you be happy to trade with them? I mean, honestly, you're going to close out four of the last five games at home. The one road trip is to Auburn. And goodness, who knows who's going to be coaching Auburn come November 12th. It sets up really well for Texas A&M to close out the season strong, which, of course, will justify many people in the SEC media you know, picking them next year uh, to contend for the West. But I, I would love to trade schedules with them, to be quite honest with you. I mean, you got one ranked opponent the rest of the way, right? Now, of course, if LSU wins this weekend, they'll be ranked. But based on the current top 25, the only ranked opponent A&M is scheduled to see the rest of the way is Ole Miss. And many of you are saying, you know what, hey, Ole Miss is overrated. And they probably are, but they're undefeated, so how could you rank them any other way? But the reality of it is things set up really well for A&M. I look for them to move up in the standings. And, of course, you know, State really, in all intents and purposes, you know, we expect State to lose this week and them to win. So that puts A&M and State kind of right there together. You know, State would be 5-3, and three, A&M 4-3. And, and, of course, State hadn't had their bye week yet, and so – I think AM and State are going to be kind of topsy-turvy here down the stretch in the standings, and that home win against a I think, favors State when you get down to it. Like, I see people say, oh, we're going to end up in the Birmingham Bowl. We're not going to end up in the Birmingham Bowl. We're not going to end up 6-6. Six and six. There are going to be some teams in this league that do. I don't suspect that we're one of them. Let's look at Arkansas. The Razorbacks now 1-3 and three in the league, and anybody in Fayetteville, if you had told them that you're going to open up 1-3 and three in the league, They would have said, you're crazy. Well, we're not crazy. This is the reality of the situation here. And, of course, they had a big, big offensive game for K.J. Jefferson last weekend in a 52-35 win at BYU. Arkansas uh, is off this week. Then they will travel to Auburn. you got to call that a W. Liberty then goes to Arkansas. That's a W. LSU then goes to Arkansas. Arkansas wins last year in Tiger Stadium in overtime 16-10. That's a toss-up game. Ole Mess then goes to Arkansas. And you remember how crazy that game was last year? Goes down to the final play of the game. Arkansas goes for two. They don't get it. Insanity. And then Arkansas is at Missouri. So, again, Arkansas behind Mississippi State. But, again, I think a more favorable schedule. Only one ranked opponent left, and that's Ole Miss coming to Arkansas. I, th- I think you'd take that. And, of course, you've got your non-conference game against Liberty. And to give Hugh Freeze credit, that's not an easy out, even for a G5 team. It's not an easy out. But Arkansas, three of the last five will be in Razorback Stadium, two of those three SEC West teams. And then you close out at Missouri. You know, you can't, you can't afford to sleepwalk through that game. But the reality of it is that's a game Arkansas should win. So, again, I think Arkansas, a chance – to move up in the standings here late. And a lot Auburn's going to have a say in kind of how the, the, the bottom of the Western division is determined because they're going to play everybody. But I think you look at this Arkansas team with a healthy K.J. Jefferson, despite the fact their defense is a bit abysmal, it's going to be awfully interesting. Because if you look at these, there's not, a, I would say, a, quote, explosive team that can exploit that secondary. Maybe Missouri can make some plays. I just don't think Missouri can stop Arkansas. But our Arkansas team, if I had to call it today, they win at Auburn. They beat Liberty. We'll see what happens with LSU and Arkansas. But you could see Arkansas close out the regular season on a five-game winning streak. And, of course, that pushes State down in the bowl picture. It does. And rightfully so, because they're going to have the better record when it's all said and done. I think they're going to finish up somewhere right around State 8-4, maybe 9-3. You look at them right now, they're already 4-3. But they could conceivably win the last five. I mean, a lot of football left to be played, but I think you look at this Arkansas team, and I think again they'll feel like, hey, it's been a good season when it's all said and done. We didn't contend for the West, but the reality of it is, is that we've got, uh, you know, we're going to go to a decent bowl game. We're going to feel good about life. Looking at Auburn, pick last in the West, and I think the SEC media gets this one right. And to, to, as we all know, we discussed the Auburn-Missouri game. Auburn should be two and four. They're not but they should be looking at what they have left currently three and four and one and three in the league Arkansas in two weeks goes into Jordan Harris Stadium crazy things have happened there in this especially in this series you like Arkansas to win the game though now of course Auburn at home a staff fighting for their job they'll bring a good effort then Auburn goes to Mississippi State that game, We should win that game, but the way they can run the football based on how we looked last weekend, I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, maybe it's not the game we think it is. Could be a much closer game. I do think State wins that game. Then A&M is at Auburn. And, again, you never know what's going to happen at Auburn. Western Kentucky then at Auburn. And I have told you guys before, this is a sneaky game here for Auburn that Auburn can ill afford to look over. The, the Hilltoppers now 4-3. and three. But offensively, they do some interesting things. By the time they get to Auburn, you know, they got to go to UAB, North Texas, and then that's Charlotte and Rice. You know, they could be a bowl eligible team. You know, within Conference USA, kind of figuring some things out. I, I still think Auburn wins the game. I think they'll be able to out athlete them. And then Auburn, of course, will go to Alabama for the Iron Bowl. But I think, you know, based on what you're looking at right now, if if you had to call it, I think this is a four and eight Auburn team. I don't think they win another conference game. I do think they beat Western Kentucky. And, of course, I don't think you can afford to go out there and be silly. I think Western Kentucky sees it as an opportunity. And then, of course, Brian Harson fired at season's end. But I think it's going to be difficult for Auburn to make a bowl game. I think we all see that. But I think everybody else in the West becomes bowl eligible. So you start doing the math on this, that gives you six from the West and then five from the East. And we'll figure it out. You know, you, you got more than enough tie-ins and a reputation around the league, uh, around the conference. You know, that's why we do the Armed Forces Bowl and that kind of stuff. D- they'll absolutely take an SEC team. So, you know, obviously at this point, I think you have to project Mississippi State uh, to be, of course, we talked potentially playing our way into a New Year Six. I think that's out of the realm of possibility now. And I don't think you finish in the top half. I think you're looking at one of the lower tier bowls. I think you look at it. Texas Bowl. We won't go back to Liberty, maybe Music City. We're going to be in that second group of SEC Bowl games. And and that's disappointing. Now, at the end of the day, if you find a way to get to 8 and you can, but if you find a way to get to 8, then perhaps state finds its way uh, into a Florida Bowl game. Maybe we go back to the Gator, who knows. But I think the West is going to beat itself up down the stretch and we need some help out there to kind of kind of stay above the fray there. And the bottom line is state needs to win some bowl games. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by our friends at Portico. We love Portico. I love Portico. You love Portico. If you were moving to Starkville, there's no better place to move than Portico. If I was moving now, it's where I would move. I would love to be that low, that close to campus because it's the quiet side of campus, so I'm conveniently located 1.1 miles away from all things maroon and white, but I'm tucked away in a neighborhood, you know, so you can get out there and kind of enjoy life. It's a little bit quieter, Right. All your friends would want you to live there too. That way they can stop and see you on their way in, right? And maybe they've got kids or whatever that want to come play with your kids and have a good time before the ball game. Uh, and maybe people just want to say, "Hey, you know what? Let, let's go by and enjoy ourselves." You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home and go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. You'll be glad you did. But it's your ball game weekend retreat, your your primary residence, your future retirement home. Portico has a plan to work for you. Reach out to our friend Brooks Bryan. A guy has done a great job wearing the MSU baseball uniform. Diamond Dog went to Omaha twice. A guy understands what you guys expect. He understands that you want a great place to live here. This great group of individuals delivering and then some. Conveniently located, turn off 82 on to 12, like going to campus. The very first right, you've passed that, that road so many times and never wondered where it went. Well, they recently extended it, right, in the last few years, and we built this wonderful residential development out there at Portico. Very easy to find. Go by and check it out next time you're in town. Just go right through there and say, hey, let's just go see what Portico is all about. If you got further questions, reach out to Brooks at 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. You'll be glad you did. All right, let's take a quick look at some stats before we get out of here. You got some bulldogs having some really good years. And it's kind of quietly kind of going on the radar. Obviously, you know, Will Rogers still leads the SEC with 2,324 yards. Stetson Bennett, um, 2,033. Hendon Hooker, 1817. Bryce Young down there at 1657. So, Will Rogers, in many respects, I can't say he's running away with it. But he's put himself in a position to lead the SEC in passing, which, of course, I think Will Rogers will get first team, all SEC designation, maybe second. I don't know that he got his just due when it's all said and done in the preseason stuff. Uh, When you look at receiving numbers, a lot of people out there having good years. Jalen Hyatt, kind of a loud weekend last weekend against Alabama, now leads the SEC with 10 receiving touchdowns, passing Will Shepard. Caleb Ducking, just seven touchdowns now. He's third in the SEC. So it's Hyatt from Tennessee, Will Shepard from Vanderbilt. Probably one of the more underappreciated players in our conference is Will Shepard from Vanderbilt. And then Caleb Ducking with seven. Your number four touchdown receiving guy, Austin Williams. Austin just 15 catches this year. I, you know, And again, I don't think that's him. I think it's the people around him uh, kind of elevated their game. But, uh, again, 10 for Hyatt, Shepard with eight, and then Ducking with seven. Ducking with 33 catches right there with uh, Jalen Hyatt. But uh, Hyatt getting more production out of those catches. He has 595 receiving yards, Ducking uh, 354. You know, rushing-wise, this is never going to be a statistic. You know, Colin Hill led the SEC in rushing a few years back. It's going to be a while before we, uh, we see that. Dylan Johnson's still hanging in, though, there at 10. And DJ's banged up. I don't expect him to play this week. Uh, three rushing touchdowns for him, but 407 yards. And I do think that hurts the Mississippi State rushing attack, period. No matter whether you're playing Alabama or Alabama State, not having Dylan Johnson out there uh, is an impediment uh, to this team. But I don't expect him to play. If he does play tomorrow, I'll be I'll be very surprised. We are going to see the number three running back in the SEC, Jameer Gibbs, transfer from Georgia Tech. He's got 635 yards, along with 76 and five rushing touchdowns. And uh, Ole Miss, Quinshawn Judkins, Leading the SEC with 10 rushing touchdowns. And the the kid could potentially be a freshman All-American when it's all said and done. Uh, Marshawn Lloyd from South Carolina also doing a good job there too. But uh, on the offensive side of things, you know, State kind of not well represented, I guess we could say. But the reality of it is is that uh, not having a good game against LSU and not having a game against Kentucky uh, has kind of allowed us to kind of slip a little bit in some of these um, offensive categories. Caleb Ducking second in the SEC in receptions and if you had that you'd probably win Bulldog football bingo and with Dylan Johnson now with 31 catches and probably not expected to play it's probably going to be a battle between Ducking and Marks to be a leading receiver this year but Caleb Ducking we told you in fall camp how good he'd look it's good to see that it's kind of translated to the field all right let's flip over to the defensive side of things Jed Johnson now second in the Southeastern Conference in tackles with 67. Trailing Ollie Anthony Orja from Vanderbilt, who had 71. The way that Alabama runs the football, Jed my catch, and miss a weekend, right? Uh, interesting. Right? Bumper Pool and Drew Sanders now behind Judge Johnson. Bookie Watson, who, of course, missed basically a full game, is fifth in the SEC with 58 tackles. And this is a guy, too, with Arkansas finally having a bye week. Uh, we might catch him, but ultimately, you know, we're going to have about a bye week uh, next week, so they'll go right back in front. But a couple of Bulldog linebackers really putting together uh, good seasons. And Jed Johnson, a guy that I felt like was completely disrespected by the SEC media. He was one of the top returning tacklers in the in the in the linebacking core around this conference. No mentions. No mentions, and Jed has made them look awfully silly. And a lot, of, a lot of Bulldog fans, too. There were a lot of people, and let's just call it for what it is. There were a lot of people that said Judd Johnson would never be anything more than a special teams player at Mississippi State. Yeah, yes, yes, many of you said it. Don't back off off it now. I won't embarrass you. I'm not going to name you. But the reality of it is, it's Judd Johnson living his dream and is among the league leaders in the Southeastern Conference in tackles. Could take over first place in the Southeastern Conference through eight games. We're not talking about a couple games against non-conference foes. It's going to be eight games into the season, and your Jet Johnson, the pride of Tupelo, Mississippi, could be leading the SEC in tackles. Let that sink in for a second. It says a lot about Jet Johnson, a lot about Jet Johnson. Really proud for Jet, and I uh, had somebody run into me yesterday at, the, uh, at Celebration Village. And matter of fact, when I get done with the show, we'll be leaving heading that way. said, so, man, I met Jet Johnson. You would have never known he's one of the top linebackers in the SEC the way he carries himself. And I think that speaks well of his parents and of his family and of Jed himself. And if you've ever been around Jed, he is one of the most humble down-to-earth people you'll ever see. But all he's ever wanted to do in life is play football at Mississippi State. He's getting to do that. And there are so many people out there, I share this all the time, I don't care if it's State, Ole Miss, Southern Miss, Delta State, Jackson State, whatever. When a young man gets to live their college football dreams and wear the school colors of the team that they grew up rooting for, that is an amazing thing. And there are not many people that get to do that, but to see Judd Johnson have a chance to do that and then excel doing that and not just be our leading tackler to be one of the best in the Southeastern Conference. It's outstanding. And uh, I'm glad to call Judd Johnson and his family friends of mine. And, uh, I've had the great opportunity to get to know them over the course of the last few years. And, uh, Feel that my life has been enhanced by enjoying the Jed Johnson experience. I hope yours has as well. We're going to be signing books out of Celebration Village. Uh, I'm going to leave here, probably be there around 1 o'clock. So 1 o'clock, I'll try to get there around noon. I don't think it's going to happen because i got to go make a stop. But uh, around 1 o'clock until about 9 o'clock tonight, I'll be there to closing. If you can't make it to Celebration Village, you can go to dogpile the book, and all of my sports books are available there. It's dogpile, flim flam, Stark Villains, and just precious few Stark Villains left. We're not going to print Villains and Alpha Dogs next year. We'll do a short run, maybe in 2024. But if you don't have them, you need to get them because they're going to be out of print for a while. And and listen, I never know how these publishing things are going to work. You know, it's not like I can just pick up the phone and say, hey, let's do this, you know. uh, They may do a short run just to kind of keep some books handy. I got some other big things that we're working on, some pretty big things that I think are going to kind of carry those book sales forward. You know, we've, we've done it. We've had a really great run could be even better. And I'll be able to talk about that more uh, in the weeks and months to come. But the reality of it is, is that if you want Stark ones or alpha dogs and you don't have them, you need to act soon. Uh, so if you're in Tupelo, you can come by and get them today. If not, you can order them again at dogpilethebook.com. I'm happy to sign them. They get with me a couple times a month and I sign those books. And uh, it's Christmas is coming up too. I, a lot, I, somebody yesterday came and said, I need to get your books for my husband. And they were all sold out except for alpha dogs. And that's the one book of mine he had. So she's supposed to come back today. So things are going to go quickly. I suspect that we will not have any Stark Villains after Christmas and precious few alpha dogs if we don't sell out of those too. We had a good run on those last night. Uh, Dog pile, we have several of those. And uh, we've got a few hundred Flim Flam left. And when I was in Gulfport, we sold a bunch of Flim Flam, which really kind of surprised me. I I didn't expect that. Flim Flam outsold everything, probably three to one. Uh, so a good night down there. And so if you're looking for those books, you can find them. And I would encourage you to act quickly. And of course, if you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, you can get it at Celebration Village, or you can order it through Amazon.com, BornTonoble.com, Booksamillion.com, or through your local bookstore. Stark Villains Gear is always available at starkvillains.com And I got a message yesterday. I want to identify the young lady. She got her Stark Villain shirt in and she wore it to school. And then several students and teachers wanted to know where to get it. Well, it's at starkvillains.com. It couldn't be any easier than that. Go to starkvillains.com, and you can get Stark Villain hoodies, T-shirts. And uh, it's holiday season coming up. You probably know some Boneyard listeners in your life that may say, you know what, they may never buy that for themselves, but I know they would like to have it. Order for Christmas. So there you go. Hey, guys, thanks so much for your support of the show. This has been – we have had an incredible year, the biggest year we've ever had. As a matter of fact – the last month, one of the biggest months in the history of the show. And that's saying an awful lot. I've been doing this a long time. But anytime we have new records and anytime we have a new trajectory, like I got an email today showing me the arc of the story over the course of the last couple of years and it just keeps getting bigger and better. And so, again, I thank you. And when you share the show with your friends, you're being the best friend they have, right? So until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. <laughs>